Hello everyone, I'm Christine Bentley here with Kate Wheeler and you are listening to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Today's show is brought to you by Meridian Credit Union. Expecting more for your money? That's wealth esteem. Well, the 2018 Shaw Festival has started and we're kicking off today's show talking to Serena Parmar, who you may remember from Degrassi. Mm-hmm. She stars in and wrote The Orchard After Chekhov, which is on now until September the 1st. It's Anton Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard transformed into the tale of a Punjabi Sikh family fighting to hold on to their Okanagan Valley orchard. And this adaptation is based on Serena's own childhood in B.C., And Canadian comedy writer Lauren Wise is also in now. Her first novel, Swap Club, was a huge hit. It's currently being developed into a motion picture produced by Entertainment One. Mm -hmm. But she has a second novel, Kate. Yes, Swap Club 2. It recently hit the shelves. Now, the first book follows one woman's sexual awakening as she and her husband join a clandestine Montreal swingers club. She'll be here to tell us about the movie and where Swap Club 2 begins. We'll have the latest movie and TV reviews with film critic Ann Brody and registered holistic nutritionist Christina Vero is back with tips to improve anxiety through nutrition. Mm-hmm. Just more than a year ago, Brock McGillis, who has played pro hockey in the OHL, UHL, and in The Hague, came out in an open letter shared on Yahoo Sports. And he'll be here to talk about his struggles as a gay hockey player and how he thinks the language used in sports needs to be made more inclusive. And closing out the show in our live studio sessions, we have Toronto R&B artist Kevin, who's going to perform his debut single, Make Me Better. And don't forget, we're giving away tickets to Medieval Times Toronto, and we also have a great HelloFresh deal going on. Plus, you can use the code SHESAID50 to get 50% off your first box. You can do that by just going to the HelloFresh app or the website. Now, if you follow us on social media, we are at What She Said Talk. You can find all of the links. Our website is, of course, whatshesaidtalk.com. And that HelloFresh contest, again, the code is she said 50 to get 50% off your first family box. That's a big mm-hmm. one. And also, there's, uh, there's some freebies going on, so you'll want to go to our website and check that out. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Well, the 2018 Shaw Festival has started, and joining us now is Serena Palmer, who isn't just starring in this year's show, The Orchard After Chekhov, but is also the playwright. Welcome to What She Said. Hi, thanks for having me. It is great to see you. Now, you got your start on Degrassi, and now you spend your time between acting and writing, and The Orchard After Chekhov is Anton Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard transformed into the tale of a Punjabi Sikh family fighting to hold on to their Okanagan Valley orchard. (laughs) So we need to know more about this. (laughs) It's quite the mouthful, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Yes, so it's an adaptation of Chekhov's Church, as you were saying, uh, and it's set in the Okanagan Valley, which is where I grew up in British Columbia. Pretty. Yeah, it's beautiful there. And it's set in the 70s, so it was a time when Trudeau was um, opening up immigration in in kind of an unprecedented way. Uh, So it looks at the shifting world there, and then it also looks at um, this family matriarch who has been away in India for five years and, and come back to the orchard after the death of her son. So the play really looks at uh, a changing world on kind of a world level and also on a personal family level. So is it based on your childhood? 
I wouldn't say based on my childhood because a lot of sad, kind of dramatic oh, things happen okay. in the play. <laughs> so sometimes we're like, oh my goodness. Let's say but loosely. Inspired by, oh, for sure. Okay. Yes. Right. I grew up on a fruit farm in the Okanagan Valley. So definitely based on a lot of the experiences that I had growing up. So what prompted you to write this adaptation? Well, I went to the National Theatre School, and when I was in school, we were studying the cherry orchard, and we did a full production of it. And then I graduated, and a few years later, we cut down our family orchard. And when that happened, I, I understood the original in a completely different way that I just didn't have access to when, when I was at school. Mm -hmm. Because we were farmers in India, we grew uh, cotton and mango, and came to Canada in the 60s. So we didn't have a lot of family left in India. And when we cut down our orchard, it was really the severing of a, a kind of ancestral tie to India. This um, occupation that we had for so long, we, we no longer had everyone. My aunts and uncles went to work in offices. So Why did you cut it down? I'm dying to know. Like, what? Yeah, so my aunts and my uncles, they all got jobs in offices and they didn't want to take over running the farm. So this thing that we had done in India for so long and then here in Canada, we, we no longer were doing and uh, yeah, there are all kinds of generational changes because people just do not want to. When you think of, you know, convenience stores mm -hmm. or dry cleaners or whatever, people don't want to work 16 hours a day, seven days a week anymore. I mean, it, if they don't have to. Well, um, yeah. Some of those things that are passed on from generation to generation. And I think family businesses were the successor doesn't want to succeed. <laughs> and I think it's about, especially for immigrant families, access to a better life, access yeah. to better quality of living or uh, moving up the socioeconomic uh, system. So um, especially when you come from kind of working class farmers, if you have access to a city job, an office mm -hmm. job, that's why we moved here. That's why my grandparents went through everything they, they did. So it's a, it's a bittersweet thing to cut down the orchard because it yeah. means they've achieved their dream for their children, but also that we lose a, a big part of um, our heritage. Another unique aspect of this show is that your husband, Ravi, is yes. directing the That's show. Right. <laughs> is this uh, your first time working professionally? It is our first time working together, and we're still married, I'm happy to say, after <laughs> I was going to say, that's not bittersweet, too, <laughs> yeah, is it? <laughs> Just sweet. <laughs> but how do you manage it? Uh, you know, it was really funny because everyone said, okay, talk about boundaries and, you know, mm -hmm. when you're going to be talking about work and when you're not going to be talking about work, but we're both workaholics. So we would go home and he would say, oh, I just have one thought about the play I want to tell you. It's like, we're at home. No more talking about work. He's like, okay, good. That's a good pact. And then five minutes later, I'd be like, no, but really tell me what were you thinking? <laughs> so I would be the one caving all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was it cathartic? Um, it was cathartic. I remember our first preview was really cathartic because that was the first time we had a, a full audience. So, uh, 200 people watching the play. And, uh, I'm the first South Asian playwright produced at the Shaw festival and it's my first play. And it's also my family's. I was going to ask you, like, how did you get in? I mean, the Shaw festival obviously does plays mm -hmm. that are in, of, and around the time of George Bernard yes. Shaw. Yeah. So Chekhov fits, but how did, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big get for you to be at the Shaw Festival for your first play. It was pretty exciting. Yeah, I think um, I really credit Tim Carroll. I think um, he's giving a lot of people opportunity who haven't had it in the past mm -hmm. and, and um, taking chances on people that maybe normally wouldn't have uh, access to, to such an opportunity at such an early stage of, of their career. But I think the work is standing up for itself. And, um, you know, he's taking chances on the people that are, are ready um, with the goods. So it's been really exciting. And clearly you are. There are many women, though, involved in Shaw this year. Yes. Um, and not just having one role, but two or three. Exactly. Um, acting, directing, mm -hmm. some even writing shows themselves, like you. Yeah. Um, what has the reaction been like so far? Uh, well, I can only speak from my personal experience, and it's been really wonderful to have uh, so many women around me that are also wearing multiple hats, because I think... Um, Kimberly Rampersed, who's also directing uh, O'Flaherty, which is the lunchtime show at the Shaw Festival this year, and is also appearing in Grand Hotel, the musical. Mm -hmm. So she also is singing and dancing and acting, so triple threat already, plus directing. Um, it's been really great to um, talk to her as a support system and to celebrate these achievements that we're having. And um, I don't think any other festival is, is giving such a 360 opportunity to their artists to develop and grow and then take the skills that we have learned at Shaw and take them 
elsewhere into our careers. So it's it's an exciting time. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you said 360, and you, and you certainly put in a lot of time to raise awareness about women's rights issues faced in developing countries, as well as here in mm-hmm. Canada. You're an ambassador for Because I Am a Girl. Yes. Now, why is it so important for you to give back and raise awareness in that way? Uh, well, I was raised by a single mom. Mm-hmm. So uh, I grew up watching my mom clean the gutters and drywall our basement and also take us to all of our acting classes and dancing classes and just wearing many hats. And I saw when she was empowered, allowed me to be empowered and, and have self-confidence and, and push myself to be braver in, in the risks that I take. And um, I think so much about uh, gender equality here in Canada, around the world, is about um, giving voice and empowerment to people. And uh, the studies have shown that when you empower women and they receive higher education or when they're lifting themselves uh, financially out of poverty, then they go and lift their communities out as well, which is something specifically um, that women do when they're given opportunity. And so I think it's... um, it's just important. <laughs> What's next for you? Uh, well, I'm going to take a break in September and sleep, finally. <laughs> and then uh, I'll be back at the Shop Festival in the winter to do a Christmas carol, which will be really fun. And, and then keep writing. I'm working on a few uh, new projects with my writing. So I'm excited to see where that takes me and write something of my own that's maybe um, a bit more experimental in form and a bit more contemporary. So, yeah. For any young women out there who are listening to this and mm-hmm. who maybe have the same aspirations that you did, what, what advice would you give them? Um, oh, geez, that's a big one. I think something that I learned with my writing that happened, I've been working on this play for six years, so maybe two or three years ago, when I started to realize um, that my perspective was unique and that only I could tell my story um, and, and, and talk about the world in the way that I saw it, um, that was the biggest gift that I had to my writing. And when I started putting more of that into the script, um, it really changed the game for me. And, uh, and so realizing that my perspective is unique and that is my power uh, as a writer was huge. But it took me a long time to believe in that, and that gave me a lot of confidence. So what is the, what is the message that you hope people take away from The Orchard after Chekhov? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the very quiet, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, the play is really sprawling. It's four acts. There's, there's 12 characters, and, and there's a lot of things that I think audience have, have, audiences have been taking away from it. Um, but I think thematically, it talks about loss. It talks about memory. It talks about the cost of assimilation um, mm-hmm. for immigrant communities. Um, and I think it talks about... Um, how your identity changes based on the world around you and how you navigate that. So I hope people are, are thinking about those things, but I'm excited to hear what people take away from it because it's been really different depending on every audience member, which has been really exciting. How often do you see the, the show yourself? Are you there for every performance? I am, yeah. Well, I'm in the well, show. You're in the show, so yes, I'm but you never take a break. Uh, and then, you know, there's a few scenes that I'm not in, so I, I still do like to sit backstage and, and listen to the scenes. And mm-hmm. um, the show's going to the Arts Club in Vancouver in 2019. Right. So I'm always thinking, too, about tweaks. I'm like, oh, that line's not quite right. Or maybe I can switch that for the next draft and uh, always working on it. Or, or, or chat about it with Ravi. <laughs> or chat about it. Okay, so The Orchard After Chekhov is on until September the 1st at the Shaw Festival in the Jackie Maxwell Studio Theater. And you can get tickets now at shawfest.com, right? Shawfest.com. Serena Palmer, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply.
Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. This is 1059 The Region. What she She's powerful, wonderful, honest, and lovable. Now back to what she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Well, the old 1970s trend of suburban husbands and wives having consensual sex with other married couples is alive and well in Montreal. That's where Canadian comedy writer Lauren Wise starts off the second book in her hit series, Swap Club. And she joins us now in studio. Welcome back to What She Said, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so the series' first book made its North American debut in February 2017, and it's going to be made into a motion picture by Entertainment One. How exciting is that? It's exciting. It's exciting and it's also a very slow process. So you get excited and then there's a quiet... Hurry up and wait. That's the saying, right? Yeah, that is the saying. So, But even more exciting, you're going to be the executive producer on the adaptation of that. So you're kind of in charge. I'm not. I I mean, it really does take an army to make a movie. Mm -hmm. So we all have a say. We're a big production team. We have, uh, right now, we're four producers on it. And I don't make any decision without a consensus from everybody mm-hmm. because obviously if there's another voice in the room that feels contrary to a decision, there's there's reason behind that. And, uh, and I'm not used to that, being a writer. I'm used to making my own decisions. And when I write, I'm alone and I get to make all my decisions. And now you have to share. Now I have to, I have to listen. <laughs> okay, so what is it like your first book, Runaway Hit, then comes a movie offer, I mean, this is the stuff that dreams are made of. This is what every writer dreams about. It is. It is. Are I you still shell shocked? I am. I I try to contain myself because there's a lot of bumps along the road when it comes to movie mm-hmm. making. The option for the for the uh, manuscript was a very very beginning step of a very long process. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in right now getting the screenplay. We should actually have it today. So I'm kind of on eggshells to f- see what the final draft looks like. And uh, and if it looks good, uh, we're on to the races with casting and uh, attaching a director. So when do you hope to start production? Um, well, if the script is good mm-hmm. and we all agree that it's, you know, and E1 greenlights it, then we are, we're going to, you know, speak with our casting director and, and uh, you know. And away we go. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so so for for those who don't know, let's talk about Swap Club. It follows one woman's sexual awakening as she and her husband join a clandestine Montreal swingers club. So give us an idea of where the first Swap Club book ends off and where Swap Club 2 begins. Okay, well, it ends with the couple, Ryan and Val, um, at a meeting with the headmistress. And uh, they think they're saying goodbye and thank you for a great year. And Celeste hands them a new contract. And that's how the first book ends. Mm -hmm. And so the cliffhanger is, do they sign on for another year? There were a lot of uh, hiccups along the way. Um, But uh, yeah, I pick up the second book where that left off. So the if I wanted to do a spoiler alert, I would say the Mm -hmm. year two uh, is the second year of the contract. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. I, I ruined it for everybody. <laughs> well, not, not, not unless you want to read the book. Right? Right. Which you should. So what, who is the headmistress? Her name is Celeste. And, who, and, and she's the headmistress of? The club? The club. Oh. So it's a membership okay. club. Ah. And it's run by this woman. Her name is Celeste, a very fabulous woman. Yes. And uh, she sends a text message out every, um, the first Saturday night of the month. The man gets an address and he leaves and goes to a woman's home and the wife stays home and her doorbell rings at eight o'clock with a, ma- a gentleman on her doorstep. And so Celeste is the kind of master organizer of all that. Okay, so you make it very clear in the prologue of the first book that all of this is made up. Yes. But how did you come up with a story? Inquiring minds want to know. Well, it's fiction. So the club and Celeste and all the characters are from my imagination. The idea of swinging and swapping, uh, especially in Montreal, is a, is a rumor that's been circulating since my mother, who's 68, was my age, um, with key parties and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. 
Um, I even hear he- that Toronto has oh, a yeah. swinging, uh, yeah, community. Component. It does. Yeah. yeah it does. And so my friends from Toronto who read the book said, you know, you should do a Swap Club Toronto version because they're, apparently it's going on here too. Oh, it's been going on. I, I imagine my surprise of going to a, what I thought was a nice little neighborhood pub in, in Pickering. <laughs> and upstairs, there was a whole different game going on. But this wasn't, this was... Um, shared in a public space swapping so that's going on here there's all kinds of different sex clubs but it's 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 sort of a minefield i think we've always thought that montreal was somewhat more open to this kind of thing than than toronto the good she says in quotes right i i would say that yes montreal is uh known for their um very open sexuality we have strip clubs lining every street mm-hmm. um if your daughter doesn't turn into a stripper you're kind of lucky do you want to be a lawyer or a dentist or a stripper and well that, that's yeah. kind of funny because you have a daughter in in dance i do and i, I had two daughters in competitive dance yeah. and my husband always used to joke well at least they can you know get work dancing around a pole right. if, 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 if you know if this doesn't started, turn out right if law school doesn't work out you, know, you can always fall back on your your oh, dancing on your dancing so yeah. how um you know can you see that sort of aspect i don't know how old your daughter is but she's 10 so i don't really i try not to think try about not to think about it some of those <laughs> costumes though no 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> we, we had a good conversation about my book when the first book came out which was there are, are TV shows and movies that are rated R for adults only, mm-hmm. and you can't watch them, but I can. And there's books that are appropriate for you and appropriate for adults, and my book is an appropriate book for an adult to read. And when you're an adult, I'll give you your own copy. And how um, do you think that discussion is going to go? Especially with the internet. I, it's, she's going to... You know what? Right now she understands that it's a book about a woman who turns 40 <sighs> and her and her marriage and her friends... And for a 10-year-old, that's enough information for her mm-hmm. to care what the book's about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are there going to be more in this series? Maybe yes, you'll there's come one more. Do, there's one more? There's one more. A and trilogy. Then a trilogy, and then I'm done writing Swap Club. Because, okay. you know, I'm a writer first, and so this is what I, I focused on for the last couple of years, and I want to write other things. I have mm-hmm. other stories that I want to tell that, mm-hmm. are, you know, that's not about swinging and swapping. Now, you have worked as a writer's assistant for Just for Laughs galas in Montreal, featuring Seth Rogen, Joan Rivers, Sarah Silverman, to name a few. What has life been like since the release of this book? It's been amazing. I have to say, when you're a writer, you're alone in your house or your office, and it's a really solitary um, job. It really is, and I and I crave human contact. So when my family gets home at the end of the day, I'm like the dog, like, how's your day? What'd you do? What'd you go? <laughs> and they've been around people all day, and they're like, whoa, yes. I just need some quiet. Exactly. So, I, you know, working for Just for Laughs was a huge, huge, um, you know, amazing experience for me. I got to work with the most amazing um, talent that's out there, some who are no longer alive, like Joan Rivers mm-hmm. and... Um, and uh, Don Rickles, mm-hmm. and it's just stuff that you keep with you with you every time you take your computer out, and you remember a little piece of advice that someone gave mm-hmm. to you, or or how they changed a joke that was written for them. So mm-hmm. it's you know. It so was, this sounds like a sort of progression of a journey for you because you've come from a solitary environment. You're now going to go into a. Big time, I mean, with a movie production mm-hmm. and all those people you're going to be seeing every day at the office, quote unquote. Right. I, I, It'll be fun. Don't it's going to be fun. It's going to be really good for me to um, be amongst humans, you know, <laughs> from nine to five or however long it is. Um, but my comfort zone is really on my own. I, I wouldn't call myself a loner because I do love people and I do love my family and my friends. But, you know, even here I came, I was early and I sat in my car instead of coming out because I was more comfortable just sitting in my car and waiting. So I... I, We're friendly. I know, very friendly. Very friendly. (laughs) And and it's not a you, it's not the, you know, from outside, it's it's something inside me. And that's why I think being a writer is my perfect um, position. But perhaps it's just professionally you're more comfortable doing your work on your own. Yeah, 
I, I have to say, yes, I like to write on my own, but it's not to say that I'm not sending out my writing to close friends and family who I trust, not the ones that are going to be like, oh, it's great, but I want to get feedback. So although I write it on my own, I do need outside people to make it better for me. Right. So, so where can people get a copy of Swap Club? To? Anywhere you could buy a book. Anywhere. Amazon, and when Indigo. When will the movie be out? Uh-huh. Um, do you think? What's the? What, I don't what are we know. Aiming I, I'm for? hoping. So it's a very slow process, and I'm learning that. And yeah. uh, the producers on the team and Entertainment One, they all get so annoyed with me when I'm like, "When? How long? Why is it taking so long?" Because for them, the movie industry takes long to yeah. make a great movie. If you want to make a not so great movie, then then they don't. It's it's not the same. Um, so I'm hoping within the next year we'll be in production and and have. Uh, and something to show the world. And we'll, and we'll have you back to talk about the movie. I would yeah. love that. I would love that. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Today. Thank you for having me. What She Said. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. (sighs) Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Passion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit kernsandco.com. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Well, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, I know where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna pick my baby up and take her to the picture show. Joining us now for Saturday Night at the Movies is our film critic, Anne Brody. And Annie, I will always love you. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> and I know Whitney said that, too. Yes, and today we're starting off with the biopic, Whitney. Now, you actually interviewed the legendary I Whitney Houston. I did Houston indeed. For I did the indeed. Preacher's Wife. What yeah. was that like? We were all terrified to go in and speak to her because of her her image and her the size of her uh, personality yeah. and all of that. And we'd heard things, but none of it was true. She was disarming, charming, funny, laughed the whole time. And we were joking about Bobby Brown, the makeup, and Bobby Brown, her husband. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she was just very cool. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the reasons why it is so tragic that she had that great personality um, to become involved in drugs and all the scandals that she had. But, I mean, she had a rough beginning, according to this film. This is the biopic Whitney. The biopic Whitney, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And things happen, and you just have to deal with them. And uh, she's dead now, and her daughter's dead in virtually the same manner, in the bathtub with a drug overdose. And this was made with full cooperation from from her family and friends. With the exception of the late aunt who sexually abused her as a child. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, so. yeah. All right. Um, let's move on to Mary Shelley. Yes. Well, this is a, a what I call a teen dream movie. Okay. It's aimed straight at the kids. It's very romantic. It's gothic. It's death obsessed. You know, that mm-hmm. age of yeah. wondering the twilight kind of years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the early twilight years. <laughs> so it's about, it's about the writer played by Elle Fanning. She does a tremendous job. Um, who's obsessed with reanimating the dead. And there was something around at, in 1813 about galvanization, which is giving an electric shock to 
reanimate. So she became obsessed with it. She dreamed about it. And she created and wrote Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And it became, she was the world's leading female writer at a time when women didn't write books. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a great story. The art direction is terrific. It's a little bit uh, grippy. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right. How about Sorry to Bother You? Yeah, well, I was really excited to see that. It's a satire slash horror film on corporate white America. So Lakeith Stanfield, who you'll know from Get Out, plays a young fellow who gets a job as a telemarketer, and he he just can't stand it. And he's using, you know, he's not using anything that he has. So Danny Glover, who sits next to him, says, use your white voice. So he uses his white voice, and boom, million-dollar sales first day. And he becomes a superstar. So he's moved upstairs to the power callers area. And Army Hammer, who runs his business, offers him $100 million to do something really evil. <laughs> so it, it's, it switches genres from sort of a satire to full-out horror mm-hmm. uh, towards the end. And there are so many things just being thrown up on the screen. It's a bit confusing, a bit uh, disorganized. Too yeah, much, yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, it's too bad, but I do like Lakeith Stanton. Tim Wardle's documentary, Three Identical Strangers. It follows American triplets separated at birth and reunited in a series of coincidences, but are they really coincidences? Well, one guy goes to school and, uh, in northern uh, upstate New York, mm-hmm. and one of his fellow uh, you know, students says, I know a guy who looks just like you. <laughs> he meets him. And? Their story goes to the media. A third guy says, oh, I look just like you. They get together. They are twins who were se- t- triplets who were separated by this uh, infamous adoption agency, the Louise Wise Services. And uh, they were doing an experiment that went over many years of separating siblings to to study their psychology and the idea of separated, being separated at birth. Very wow. cool. Very cool. Very cool. So they, uh, and they became international superstars. So, I mean, for a time. And mm-hmm. then it all sort of fell apart. Uh, so speaking of multiples, we have The Death and Life of Carl Nardlinger. Fantastic film. It's, okay. a, it's a dark comedy, which takes place in the Don Valley Ravine. In East Gwillimbury <laughs> and downtown Toronto. <laughs> so it's about a fellow who named Carl Nardlinger. Someone knocks at his door, says, uh, Carl Nardlinger's missing. He says, no, I'm Carl Nardlinger. He says, no, he's missing. Turns out there are two of them. So <laughs> he decides to go and find Carl Nardlinger, the other one. Mm-hmm. He runs into someone who looks exactly like the missing Carl Nardlinger. Turns out he's Carl Nardlinger's twin, who was adopted. <laughs> I mean, it just goes I'm so confused. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. And you're like, what? What? It's just very entertaining and clever. It's all about twins and triplets and being adopted this week. Well, I know my husband is going to want to watch um, this documentary, The King. Yeah. Uh, featuring, <laughs> but what's about examining Elvis Presley's meaning and legacy. Yeah, well, this filmmaker kind of runs away with the idea. He, he compares him to Captain Ahab mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and other huge figures. He thinks that Elvis shaped culture the way it is today, and he leads it somehow through this crazy thinking to Donald Trump, who has the same kind of persona. Anyway, that aside... The interviews they have with family and friends and survivors and uh, fans are just incredible. Mike Myers says the most truthful um, things that you can imagine. It's worth seeing just for that. The music is fantastic. Well, uh, there's way more uh, from you on what to see, what not to see. Just visit Annie's blog on our website, What She Said. Talk.com. Talk.com. <laughs> they know that. They know that. Of course they know that. Okay. Anyway, thanks so much. We'll see you next week. We will. Connect with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler at whatshesaidtalk.com. 
Coping with anxiety can be a challenge and often requires making, you know, some major lifestyle changes. Joining us now is registered holistic nutritionist, Christina Vero. And today we're going to talk about how to improve anxiety through nutrition. Welcome back. Thank you. So nice to be here. So can we improve anxiety through nutrition? Absolutely. There is a lot of new research that's coming out about how what we eat can influence anxiety. And a lot of researchers are saying that the mechanism by which that happens is when we eat better, our neurotransmitters are functioning better as well. So neurotransmitters are just brain chemicals that catalyze different reactions in the body. So it could be physical reactions, but it can also be psychological reactions. And those neurotransmitters require micronutrients, amino acids, things like that from what we eat. So this is a really good example of you are what you eat coming into play in real life, because when we can improve the health of our neurotransmitters, then we can improve our mental health as well. Okay, this is all, that's, 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 I know you know what you're talking about, but I'm already getting a little confused. So, so what are some foods specifically that are, let's say, known to make anxiety worse? Worse, yeah. So something that's been known to make anxiety worse is caffeine. So they did this one study that was really interesting where they broke people into two groups and they took people who experience anxiety versus people who don't. And for whatever reason, the caffeine made people with anxiety get a lot worse symptoms, whereas the people without it didn't have any anxiety at all. And so they were saying that what they think happened is that when you have caffeine and you struggle with anxiety a little bit already, it decreases the amount of what's called GABA in your brain. And that's a neurotransmitter that basically makes you feel calm, cool, collected. So people with anxiety really want high levels of GABA. And the other way that that happens with caffeine influencing anxiety is by sleep. So if you're somebody who's naturally anxious, sleep is a really, really good thing because it makes you feel well rested. But if I'm anxious, I can't sleep. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it becomes a little bit of a cycle, right? Yeah. Yeah. So sleep is definitely something that you need to work on if you have anxiety. There are lots of ways you can do that through food. There's a lot of ways you can do that without food. Um, One of the things, though, that I would definitely say is to reduce your caffeine intake, like I was saying. So Mm -hmm. some people are so hypersensitive to caffeine, but they've actually lost sight of that because they've just been drinking caffeine for their whole life. Decaffeinated coffee? Would that... That is fine. That is fine. Okay. Obviously, because most of the... not all of it is gone. Not Most all. of it is gone. Yeah. Okay. So I would imagine then that are, are there not some sodas like uh, carbonated drinks that have caffeine? Oh, absolutely. The cola yeah. drinks, yeah. Yeah, you got to watch sodas. You have to watch, um, obviously, energy drinks. A lot of people are having those, but also frappuccinos and things like that where people think, oh, it's just yummy deliciousness. Those can contain a lot of caffeine too. I really like to suggest switching to matcha, which is powdered green tea. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because it has caffeine caffeine so it can make you feel a little bit more alert but it also contains this amino acid that helps you feel calm so it kind of has a nice yin and yang to it and that's really helpful for people so what else besides caffeine should we avoid for anxiety avoid for anxiety i would also say trans fats so that can be found in fried foods in processed foods but those promote inflammation in the body and inflammation in the brain as well which is highly linked to anxiety so our goal then is to reduce inflammation in the body and also do a number of other things that can help so what what foods would help first one i would say is probiotics because interestingly 90% of serotonin is produced in your gut. So serotonin is a really important neurotransmitter Mm -hmm. for mood regulation, sleep, other things like that. And 90%, that's huge. So if our gut health is out of whack, then that can cause us to feel a little bit more anxious too. So I would definitely say to eat probiotic-rich foods like yogurt, kefir, which is fermented milk, kombucha, which is fermented tea, or even just having a probiotic supplement can be really, really helpful. And also having good fats. So that would be omega-3 fatty acids, which is found in fish, nuts, seeds, or good fats from avocados, coconut oil. Those are really good at stabilizing blood sugar levels. What about flaxseed oil? Absolutely. Yeah, that's another great one. So all of those good fats can really help to decrease inflammation and they don't have as much of an impact on blood sugar levels. Any other tips for anxiety in general? Yeah, anxiety in general, I would say a lot of people struggle with um, boundary setting and making time for themselves these days. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really easy to give a lot of your time to other people or devote your time to doing the things that you need to do in a day. But I think a lot of people are forgetting about themselves and how they can just take time to 
decompress, turn off your phone every now and again. I know mm-hmm. I can go days off without the even. Grid. Yep. Yeah, I can go days without even turning it off, right? Because we charge it, we use it for our alarm clock. So taking time away from your phone. I also really like to recommend doing things with other people in mind. So that might be volunteering or connecting with people who you just really get along with well rather than people who you might have a more unhealthy relationship with. Okay. Now, you, you have actually just published a book, an ebook um, about anxiety in teens. There's yes. links to it on all our social media uh, pages, what she said talk and you're going to come back and do just before back to school time a whole segment on help because it's becoming an epidemic oh absolutely and every single teenager i've worked with practically says that their anxiety is just through the roof so Mm -hmm. it's it really breaks my heart but there's a lot of things that we can do as adults to empower them and support them and things like that tell people how they can connect with you online your sites yeah so you can go to my website which is www.fresh-insight.ca or you can like us on facebook at fresh insight health or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Christina Vero or on your website as well. (laughs) Thanks, Christina. And uh, we'll talk to you again in a few weeks. Yeah, thank you. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. (sighs) Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Today's the day to try something new. Second City Training Center is home to North America's largest school of improv. Whether you're looking to build confidence through a public speaking class, test out some new material at the stand-up drop-in series, or just want to stop by and see what's up with improv, they'd love to have you. Visit them online today at secondcity.com TC or call 416-340-7270. This is 105.9 The Region. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Joining us now is Brock McGillis, who has played pro hockey in the OHL, the East Coast Hockey League, and in The Hague. A year ago, Brock publicly came out in an open letter shared on Yahoo Sports, And now he is out to change the world, or at least the language used in sports to make it more inclusive. Welcome to what she said. Thank you for having me. Well, we're delighted to have you. Tell us, what is it about the language in hockey, and indeed many other sports, that you find so alienating? As a child, I was never bullied. I was the hockey player. I was the cocky, hyper-masculine guy that walked around like I owned the place, like right. your typical hockey boy in Canada. We were mini celebrities, essentially. And um, yet, every day I went home and I cried, and I hated myself, and I wanted to die. And it was all because of the homo-negative language I heard. Words were used that represent my community, the LGBTQ, um, like that's gay in terms like that, instead of saying I'm disappointed. And to me, that made me feel like I couldn't be myself, like I was bad or wrong. When did you know that you were gay? I remember being seven years old, eight years old, and I was talking with my parents and um, we were watching a movie and I said, what if I was gay? And they said, if you're gay, you're gay. Well, thank Thank goodness you had parents right. said that. I'm very fortunate. My family is incredible, and they've been my biggest support system, and I, I, I'm incredibly lucky. Um, but I, I think at that point, subconsciously, I knew, but I suppressed it for a very long time and actually dated women until I was about 23. Wow. So for many people, I think when they're thinking about the language 
I, I, I think we maybe say things that we're not aware of that, that are offensive. So give us a few examples so people out there know what we're talking about, besides saying, oh, that's, that's gay. Um, typically, in, 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 from my experience in sport and, and also in schools in different places, um, males tend to try and emasculate one another by either feminizing or creating this, you know, like this homosexual stereotype that is a, of an effeminate man. And it's essentially by using that language like you're a fag or what a homo and things like that. You're essentially saying that that is less than a man. Or they call each other names that, you know, represent female body parts or different things like that. Or, or they're just surprised you play sports. Yeah. Yeah, which even, is even ridiculous. That, you know, like uh, gay men who play sports or gay men who are masculine and... And, and tough. And tough. And, and so... Uh, there's a tendency to do that to tease one one another. But this is something that sort of overrides sports. I mean, it's in all Completely. areas. So we're not talking about, let's say, announcers using language, uh, t you know, when they're talking about a sports event that is... And it's locker room is, talk, kind hmm? of more. It's locker room chatter you're, yeah. you're talking about. Essentially, yeah. It, it's, it's basically... Uh, in general, and it goes even beyond the locker room, it goes into mainstream society. But I, I think sports in our culture, in especially in Canada, hockey influences the culture. Right. We influence society. The, the, the hockey, hockey in Canada is number one. It's football or baseball in the United States, number one, and or soccer in Europe, yeah. and, and it influences the culture. So the way they speak, you know, infiltrates mainstream society. Why did you decide to come out in such a public way? I had some hockey associations that were whispering about my sexuality and I was working with teams and then coaches kicked me off their staffs for no reason. And, and um, one day I'm friends with them, I'm on their staff, the next day I'm gone. I had a friend go through some stuff who was in the public eye where he ended up on hit lists because he was gay. And the biggest influencer for me was probably Pulse nightclub. Um, mm -hmm. Or 59 Orlando. people were yeah. murdered in Orlando. And I thought to myself, for the queer community, that's our safe space. Those bars through history go back to Stonewall even in the 60s. And, and that's a place where, where people of the LGBTQ could feel comfortable, where they could hold hands with their partner, where they could be themselves mm -hmm. and not fear being beaten, called names, attacked verbally or physically it was a safe space and to have that ripped away from my community like this isn't somewhere across the world this our backyard in the states i have friends there so what changed when you did come out well i i contacted my friend sanaya Sapurji. she was at um yahoo sports at the time and now she's with the athletic and i said i'm doing this do you want to be a part of it and she said yes I wrote an article within uh, 24 hours. I received over 10,000 messages. Um, and then I started getting, it was ridiculous. I responded to all of them. I stayed up until five or six in the morning responding. And the following day, I got a call from the national. I, I started getting, doing media and um, school started calling and different organizations. And I started speaking on behalf of this community. That's amazing. And you continue to coach elite level athletes. And the, but, yes. but this is now a, a passion of yours, this new passion, speaking publicly to schools and teams across the country about the need, as you say, to change the language. What has the response been like? The response has been incredible. It's funny. I just went into a university class. Um, it was their last class before exams. And you could tell that they were like, I just want my exam prep and let's get this. Yeah, I want to go. <laughs> yeah. And so the prof started the class with my presentation. And um, uh, she said that over half of her students then ended up writing on the exam that that was the best part of their semester was hearing that. And I just went, that's pretty cool. That's very cool. That's influential. And, and I didn't set out. I, I hoped I'd change a couple people's lives or help them or support them, but I didn't expect all this. Mm. 
and to see that type of response is pretty cool. You're involved in an upcoming documentary about pro athletes and their struggles both during and after coming out. What kind of impact are you hoping that this will have? I'm hoping pro sports and sports in general are typically ran by um, heterosexual men. And I don't know if they understand the struggle that minority groups have in sport and whether it's, you know, gay people, people of color, women, and, and I'm hoping it shed some light on that for them to make it a more inclusive place for all and be more sensitive for sure. And, and just recognize how important this is. So how do people connect with you and, and get you to speak at, at their school or their team? So, um, I'm available on Twitter, uh, uh, Brock underscore McGillis. I'm on Instagram at B underscore rock 33 and or through my website at brockmcgillis.com. Brockmcgillis.com. And, and when is the documentary coming out? Where will people be able to see it? I believe it'll be out. It's through the National Film Board of Canada. We're hoping for the fall. And then uh, the filmmaker's last film was on Netflix for three years. So fingers crossed. Something <laughs> up on Netflix. And Netflix is a wonderful thing. Yeah, <laughs> right. So uh, fingers crossed that we end up on there. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and all our listeners. Yeah, and it's. Um, do you feel you were brave? to do this or it was just something you had to do? I don't know if I was brave. It's something I had to do, but I, I, I think it's funny. I always thought I was meant to be a hockey player. Mm -hmm. And then when injuries derailed my career and I started working with athletes, I thought, well, maybe my career was meant to happen so that I can help these other athletes. But now I've realized that hockey gave me a platform. Mm -hmm. Working with these youth has given me the ability to speak to youth and connect with them. And this is my passion. This is my dharma. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, thank you very much for being you. Well, thank you so much. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. <sighs> Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. <laughs> and accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Fashion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit KearnsandCo.com. This is 105.9 The Region. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Make me better. I give you my watch. You could have all of my time. Girl, you make me better. Know your number up my heart, always got you on my mind. Keep you warm like your favorite sweater. Joining us now is Canadian R&B artist Kevin. Welcome to What She Said. Hi. Now, you started your musical career at the early age of 13, <laughs> where you started your first band and toured with some big Canadian artists. Seriously? And what we just heard was your debut single, Make Me Better. What's the song about? Uh, Make Me Better is actually about uh, a connection between two people. Um, it starts with, you know, the initial meet um, and how important that first impression can be. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately about what that can turn into. 
Yeah. Um, Make me a better man. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You've spent the majority of the last few years in, as an audio engineer and songwriter, and you've plans for uh, a bunch of releases this summer, uh, which will not only demonstrate your R&B and urban pop sound, but also venture into sounds of electric rock and rap. Yeah, absolutely. So um, tell us about that. Well, uh, me and my team, we've been working on uh, creating content for the like, the whole first half of the year. Um, and we've got everything from, you know, all, all genres pretty much, <laughs> right? Um, so now it's just kind of targeting one at a time and, uh, and getting ready to release. And you also started up an independent label. Yes. You got you busy much? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that on top of being a single dad definitely is a full plate. Yeah. yeah. And that's what you say. You say you're determined to mold a better life for your son and the people around you. Yeah. How old's your son? Uh, he's going to be three on the 22nd. So what's coming up? What's next for you? Well, we've got uh, another single going to be coming out in uh, the beginning of September. Um, so definitely keep your ears out for that. Okay. Uh -huh. um, and then there's also going to be a lot of releases through the label. Mm-hmm. A lot of releases through the label. So y you do so like all the different sounds that you're venturing into. What's your favorite? What moves you the most? Uh, I gotta say, I, uh, I I love dance music. Mm -hmm. I've always loved dance music. Mm -hmm. um, just the way it gets people excited. You know, mm -hmm. everybody everybody feels it, and you can see by the look on their face when that song comes on, and everybody's just like dragging their boyfriends to the dance floor. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know it's always the girls dragging yeah, the boys yeah. to the dance floor. <laughs> Do you ever think you'll settle on one sort of sound or do you like this moving around from genre to genre? Right now, I definitely want to just kind of show everybody I can do everything. You know, mm -hmm. it's more about just, you know, the joy of making music. Whatever happens, happens. You know, yeah. like, at the end of the day, it's all for fun, right? Right. Well, we can't wait to hear you. So we just want to uh, let everyone know that we thank them for joining us today. But that is it for What She Said. We'll be back again tomorrow at noon right here on 105.9 The Region. And now, singing us out in our live studio sessions, here is Kevin performing Make Me Better. Make me better I'll give you my watch You could have all of my time Girl, you make me better Know your number off by heart Always got you on my mind Keep you warm like your favorite sweater And even when you're acting up You're still right by my side Still with me without the cheddar You made me better for it And we take all this in stride Call me up, call me up, I've been on the road, yeah. Crazy body like Kalani and you know it. She snapped me daily just to show me. Other couples try to use all that for foreplay, but not me and you. Need a place to stay, it's all you. Got nothing to prove. Everything I got, you could have it too. Build a time machine so I can spend more time with you. You make me better. I give you my watch. You could have all of my time. Girl, you make me better. Know your number off by heart. Always got you on my mind. Keep you warm like your favorite sweater. And even when you're acting up, you're still right by my side. Still with me without the cheddar. You made me better for it and we take all this in stride Can always count on you to put my head in check You make me see things different like a NASA chip Every soldier got a, got a bad And every goddess got a, got a savage I need you, you need me since what you drinking Anything, I got you, what you see Champagne room popping ecstasy for my, for my illness You work like Molly Let me, let me feel this Girl, you make me better I'll give you my watch You could have all of my time Girl, you make me better Know your number off my heart Always got you on my mind Keep you warm like your favorite sweater And even when you're acting up You're still right by my side Still with me at the cheddar You made me better for it And we take all this in stride 
Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.